For those of you that have gotten to know me, you, you know two things about me. Number one is I love being in the text. And the second thing is I love talking about Jesus. Can we, uh, can we just thank the Lord for all that he's done through the Gideons? Can we just say thank you, Lord? The, uh, my understanding is that uh, we have a long-standing relationship with the Gideons, and that uh, means a lot to me. Uh, I actually remember my Bible from boot camp. <laughs> the, um, and Mark and I talked about where would we have the Gideons come and share when we looked at what we were doing this summer. I think some of you know we've been talking about the theme identity theft under the, the, the assumption that the theft of Jesus has been stolen by the culture. And by the media, I don't like what I'm seeing about presented about Jesus. I don't think it's right. I don't think it's accurate. I don't think it's fair. So we wanted to spend the summer just exploring kind of these snapshots of Jesus from John and taking a look at what does the Bible say about who Jesus is. So when Mark and I looked at where to bring the Gideons, we decided to bring him in, bring them in today because we're talking about Thomas in John 20. Your text actually is in your uh, bulletin. Doubting Thomas, he's known throughout history. How would you like to have the eternal uh, uh, nickname, Doubting Thomas? <laughs> a lot of things that I would like to people say about me at my funeral, but that's not one of them. <laughs> and uh, yet he's going to be known for a long time as Doubting Thomas because he, he did doubt. Um, but I want you to, to step back with me just for a moment. Last week we talked about Jesus on the cross. And just before he died, the last thing he said was, woman, behold your son, son, behold your mother. And he, he put these two people together, his mother with the beloved disciple, who I believe is John, the author of the Gospel of John. And he, um, in doing that, he took care of his responsibilities as the oldest son to care for his mother, uh, last thing he did. But he did something really unusual. He started something. So he closed the chapter on one part of life, took care of his mother, and he started another part, another chapter, this new community. And he put together his mother and John in a relationship. And then later on, we see them in Acts, uh, in the upper room, praying, trusting the Lord. Then the Holy Spirit just comes sweeping in, coming through there. We'll talk about that some other time. It's a fascinating story. We're ju- we get just a glimpse of what God has in mind by putting the two of them together. All right, so when we get to John 20, Jesus is now off the cross. It's uh, Sunday and uh, first day of the week, and the tomb is empty. So the story about Jesus is effectively completed now in John. But there's still two more chapters because we have have some thinking to do about um, these disciples. What's the... What's their story? What do we know about the disciples? Well, we know Judas, both Judas and Peter betrayed Christ. That's all we know. Judas is now committed suicide. He's now gone. He's out of the picture. In, uh, in fulfillment of Jesus' um, prediction in John 16, the disciples have scattered. Uh, they're scattered to the wind. In fact, at the crucifixion, we only have the record that John's there. The rest of them are gone. Their hopes are dashed. They have no idea what's going on around them. They don't know what to believe. I've tried to picture what that might be like to have placed my hope 
and I use that word in particular, to have placed my hope in who I believed was the Messiah only to see him hanging on a cross. I can't imagine the, the, the internally what that would feel like to have all of that hope just devastated, gone. He didn't fulfill any of their expectations of what they thought the Messiah would be. No, he wasn't about to overturn Rome. That wasn't it. No, he wasn't about to usher in a new physical kingdom with a king like David. That's what they all thought. No, he just died out on a lonely hillside by himself. And they scattered to the wind. They're gone. That's what Jesus said would happen. So in John 20, we begin post-resurrection, or post-crucifixion and resurrection, I guess, the story of what happened to the disciples. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John. It'll be just a moment before we get to the text that's in your bulletin. So in John 20, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Mary's the first one presented to us after his death. So she runs to the tomb. She came running to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one Jesus loved, I believe that's John, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. There's no sense of who Jesus is at this point. There's no sense of his being the Messiah, of his being God incarnate. There isn't any of that. There's just this overwhelming darkness of, of shock and hurt and disbelief and denial and all the things that go with dashed hopes. And so she runs to find out. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Okay, and I'm going to pause and skip down a little bit so I can pick up the story with Mary again in verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. That alone would be a startling experience. We just kind of read this, don't we? But picture this. She gets down and it's probably a kind of a small cave and you have to hewn it out. She looks in there and sees these two angels standing there. Now, I've not seen an angel that I know of. I don't know what that would be like, but I suspect it's a little terrifying. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. I wonder how many times in our faith journey has Jesus been standing right there and we weren't aware we didn't know. Perhaps he's in the shadows. Perhaps we're aware of some presence. He's there, but we don't really know who it is. I've wondered about that. So he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Well, she thinks he's the gardener. <laughs> I love it. So she says, sir, if you've carried him away, carried his body away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. She woke up. She saw who he was. And she grabs hold of him. And he says, don't hold on to me. I've not yet gone to the Father. So verse 18, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. 
And she told them that he had said these things to her. So Mary represents one of the stories. Remember, all through John, we've been saying every one of these characters is on a journey of faith, just like you are. Everyone. And everyone has a different response to Jesus. and Everyone reacts differently to Jesus. Most of them turn toward Jesus. A few of them do not. But we're beginning to see the conclusion to some of these journeys of faith. One of them is Mary. Mary Magdalene. And she doesn't know who Jesus is. She doesn't quite grasp that he's the Messiah, I don't think. Because she's not demonstrating faith until she sees him and wants to cling to him and hold on. And what does she say? She's given the charge of announcing, I have seen the Lord. She believes. So her journey of faith comes full circle. And she believes. Now look what happens to the other characters. So Peter and the other disciple, verse 3, started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him, went straight to the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there around and the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, I believe that's John, who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. Now we have John's story coming to a conclusion. He didn't have to see Jesus. He wasn't looking for physical a physical, tangible reality that Jesus is present. He's living with the reality that you and I live with. Jesus is absent. And he believes while Jesus is absent. This amazing thing about these stories is that Jesus is no longer present at this point. And yet he's asking them to believe even though he's absent. Isn't that what we have to believe? That's us, isn't it? We believe in Jesus even though we can't touch him, we can't see him. John believed only because he saw the empty tomb. He didn't ask the questions, where is he? Who's taken him? Where's the body gone? It was very simple. He believed. These stories, by the way, represent your stories. Don't be ashamed if you need a little bit more evidence, you need a little bit more proof. My own journey to Christ was about three years long. And I'm really grateful for uh, a girlfriend very committed to the Lord and her parents and uh, other people that I knew who took the time and were very patient over three years to watch me turn from someone who was involved in illegal drugs and immorality and all those things I shouldn't have been involved in and watched me slowly begin to wake up and start to ask questions. But it took three years. So every one of you is on a different journey of belief. And by the way, once you... Turn to the Lord. That's not the end of the journey. That's just a piece of the journey. Have you ever noticed that the, that the Gospels don't highlight the conversion experiences of the disciples? That they present them all as on a journey? One moment Peter is professing Jesus as Christ, and the next moment he's betraying him? That's what journey of belief is all about. And that turning to Christ is just a step on that journey. The journey doesn't end there. That's just a step on the journey. So where are you on your, in your journey with Christ? Wherever it is that you meet, what we learn from these stories is that Jesus is willing to meet you wherever you are. And that's one of the wonderful things about the God that we serve because he always initiates toward us. Always. Always. From Genesis to Revelation, he's the one that's initiating. He's very initiatory. 
But when Paul says imitate God, that's a glimpse of what we are to be like. We are always to be initiating. The Bible says love one another, not be loved by one another. Go. Forgive one another based on what Christ did. Not be forgiven by one another. Go. Carry one another's burdens. Don't have your burdens carried by one another. Go. Serve one another. Don't be served by one another. Go. You see that? Every, all these commands are active. Get out there and do it. And that's a picture of who God is. God meets each one of you where you are. And maybe you need a little bit more tangible proof than others. That's okay. Don't be ashamed of that. Ask the Lord to reveal himself to you. And guess what? I think he'll do it. Some of you believe based on very little. That wasn't me. I had three years of hard questions that had to be answered. Before I, And yet, I've watched the gospel be so simple. Some of you have heard this story. I don't think I've shared it publicly, but when we were missionaries in Germany, working with the U.S. Army, one Friday night, we had this infantry guy there. Uh, he uh, never hadn't finished high school, had a GED, and um, was educationally, simply, educationally, he was a simple person. Didn't have a lot of knowledge or education, and we, I shared Christ with him and led him to the Lord and uh, watched him come to know Jesus. That was on Friday night. Monday morning, he comes stomping into my office, and he's dragging this guy about 6'5". And he's got him, now you got to picture this, he never lets go of the call, the, his, his BDUs, his uniform. He drags him in, and he's into my office, unannounced, and he goes, share with him about Jesus. And I said, you share with him about Jesus. And he goes, well, I don't have all the right words. I don't know what to say. I said, just tell him what happened. And he turns around and he's holding him. And he goes, well, Friday night, he goes, I was here and, and my life's all screwed up, although he uses more flowery language than that. And, uh, and he goes, and uh, Jim told me about Jesus and I believe in Jesus and I became a Christian. And so this big guy says, well, I'd like to become a Christian too. So he turns to me and he says, pray with him. I said, you pray with him. And he goes, well, I've never prayed in my life. And I go, you pray Friday night? And he, sa- he said, okay, well, here, get down on your knees. So he drags this guy down. These two guys are face-to-face in my office, and he's holding, he never let go. And he says, close your eyes. Pray what I pray. Dear Jesus, dear Jesus, my life's all screwed up. My life's all screwed up. He uses more flowery language than that. I need your help. I need your help. I want to be a Christian. I want to be a Christian. Amen. Amen. He goes, now you're a Christian. (laughs) I don't know of a textbook on evangelism that uses that as an example. Those words, that approach. But Nancy and I had the pleasure of watching him come back, the two of them, week after week. And we watched them begin to grow. That's all it took. Friends, that's all it took. When Jesus said it only takes a seed the size of a mustard seed, that's all the faith it takes. He didn't know anything about all the wonderful things that God had done. He just knew that he was in trouble. And this other guy said, just believe in Jesus. Now you're a Christian. It reminded me of Acts 16 when the Philippian jailer came out after the earthquake and he said, what do I need to do? And uh, what did he say, Paul say? Believe in Jesus. And that's what he did. That's how much faith it takes. Every one of you is on a different journey. Now listen to Thomas because this might describe some of you. The, dis- the disciples had met earlier without Thomas. 
when Jesus had appeared to them. That's verses 19 to 23. In verse 24, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. We have seen the Lord. Don't be afraid to talk about Jesus. Get into a conversation. Just start talking about Jesus with people. Most people have no idea who he is. When they think of Jesus, they think of things that have nothing to do with Jesus. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. I love, Jan, you quoting Romans. Thank you. Don't be ashamed. We have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and I put my fingers where the nails were, and I put my hand into his side, because the Roman guards had stabbed a uh, spear into his side. There's a big hole there, apparently, a gaping hole. Unless I get to do that, I will not believe. I mean, he's drawn a line in the sand. Now listen to the John of earlier, the same guy. Mark did, preached on Lazarus a few weeks ago in John 11. So Jesus says, verse 14, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, but so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, the same Thomas, said to the rest of the disciples, let us all go that we may die with him. That's a strong, that's a statement of support and belief, isn't it? He's believing in Jesus at this point. That's what we mean when you say it's a journey of belief. Your, your, your belief strengthens and grows throughout life. So here he is, right here. And then in John 14, we heard this priest on. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. My father's house has plenty of room. If that were not so, I would have told you. So Thomas said this to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? He's asking questions all along, every step of the way. And Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, Thomas, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough. And Jesus says, Philip, don't you know me? Even after I have been among you such a long time, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. These guys are demonstrating baby steps of belief all along the way. And then John, I mean Thomas, has the courage to say, unless I can stick my hand in there, I'm not going to believe. He drew a line in the sand. I refuse to believe. And I know that represents some of you. By the way, that was me. I refuse to believe. A week later, I love how the Lord likes to wait. We saw that with Lazarus. Saw that with, there's so many stories. We should just do a, t- a sermon sometime on God, on God waiting. Fabulous. How many times do you wait? Isaac prays that the Lord would uh, um, give his wife a son. She would get pregnant, Rebecca. And the, the text says God answered his prayer, and she got pregnant. Then you read it carefully, it was 20 years later. The Lord loves to wait. He waits a week. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. There you go. We were created for peace, for shalom. And Jesus' first greeting is peace. Peace be with you. That's what we as a church are all about. Preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of uh, peace. We should demonstrate peace. But then he looks at Thomas. I love it. And he goes, all right, Thomas. There you go. Put your finger right here. See my hands? 
Put them right here. Reach out. Reach out your hand. Right here. Here's that gaping hole. Good. Put your hand inside. Then he says the most wonderful words. Stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. Shared the gospel with a young captain in the army. Three months later, he was still asking me question after question after question. And there was a young E2 there, an enlisted man, who had been along for the journey. He was part of the group. And after about three months of this guy asking questions, this young E2, who was raised in Austin, Texas, in a street gang, he goes, geez, Mike, you either believe or you don't. Quit asking the guy all these questions. And Mike, who's now one of my dearest friends, many years later, he just stopped and he says, yeah, I believe. That's what Jesus said. Dear Thomas, look. Take a look. Stick your hand in the ground. Stop doubting and believe. Is that where you are? Are you at a point where it's time to stop doubting and say, I believe? We can only answer so many questions. We do come to the Lord based, by, based on faith, don't we? Stop doubting and believe. What does Thomas say? I think this is the climax of the book of John. My Lord and my God. <laughs> my Lord and my God. He's acknowledging Jesus' Messiahship and he's acknowledging his divinity. My Lord and my God. Is that where you are? Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. <laughs> Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That's all of us. Then we have these two wonderful word, verses. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these, these are written that you may believe. This is not a historical document. This is a proclamation about the present, about the living Lord Jesus, the true God, the revealer of, of all that the Trinity is. This is a living book. This is here so that you will take one step closer. I don't care how, if you're a Christian or not. I don't care what your background. So you'll take one step closer to the cross. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The elders are going to come take the offering. And I'd like to invite you into uh, a period of time, which I know our members are comfortable with. Some of you visitors, this may be new. We like to include our time with a community experience, a community expression. You know, Acts 2 says that they, they broke bread every single day. Every day. They broke bread from house to house. That's how excited they were because they had seen the risen Lord Jesus. They broke bread. It also says that they collected offerings. They sold property. They did whatever it took to take care of one another. And I'd like to invite you to, uh, to just silently for a moment pray about being involved with us financially. You know, we're a small church. We have about 200 members, but we have about 3,500 that come through our doors every year. And it's because of you visitors in the 3,500 that we get to do these fantastic things like church right out here in the amphitheater with this huge ball. Isn't that a great thing? 
So while the elders are uh, taking the offering, we're going to begin to sing again, and I'll come back up in just a minute, and then we're going to celebrate communion together.